Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors, as this show would not be possible if it wasn't for them. Millie and Ma, the stylish and unique All-Australian gift boxes. Their ranges include corporates, him and her, babies, or you can design your own. Catch them today at www.millieandma.com.au. That's www.millieandma.com.au. And last but not least, RetroJet Prints. At RetroJet, they create unique, high-quality, retro-inspired artwork that's affordable. Designed by them for you to suit any setting. Find them today at RetroJet Prints on Instagram or Facebook. And now, let's start the episode. He got a bit carried away, Brendan. That's not like Brendan to get carried away, is it? No, not at all. What a time to be alive. Save us a go. Disposal efficiency. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 74 of the Pressure Point podcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Quinn DeLuca. How are you going, mate? Good, mate. Good as always. It's another week in lockdown for us here in Melbourne and the you know finals are well and truly been kicked off. So it's been an exciting time at the moment. Absolutely. Buzzing with prelim finals coming up as well. Finals time, even though it's not in Melbourne, it's still pretty exciting. So it is all going well. But mate, I tell you what, what is more exciting is, is the episode that we've got Today, we've got Brownlow medalist and Melbourne and Collingwood champion Shane Wywoden on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks, lads. Great to be here and thanks for having us on. Yeah, no worries at all, mate. No worries at all. Just looking through um, you know, your resume, obviously 200 games for the AFL, 138 for Melbourne, 62 for the Pies, best and fairest, Brownlow medalist. It's a, it's a fair resume and... Um, Mate, we're, we're pretty pretty happy to have you on, and um, yeah, I guess how's life been throughout the pandemic for you at the moment? Like, just with you know, you're obviously living in Perth at the moment, so it's a bit different to us. But how, how's life been for you so far? Yeah, it's obviously had challenges throughout. We've had our couple of challenges with um, lockdowns over here, albeit only two very very short ones uh, this year in particular. Um, last year a little bit different, but two, three to five day lockdowns um, where our premier's just gone whack straight away and um, just make sure nothing gets out and we can live normally straight away again. So um, there have been some moments we've pivoted really well, I think as a state. Um, and yeah, we're very fortunate and we know how lucky we are. We're, we are a little bit um, further away than uh, you guys, but certainly um, it's only two roads into Western Australia, the Nullarbor and one up in the north. That's um, very difficult to get in. So, um, yeah, as I said, we're very fortunate. It's been struggling at times, but yeah, we're very lucky in 21 this year that um, our kids are at school. Um, you know, there's, the businesses are open um, and there's some, uh, some very fortunate people um, who are going okay, but uh, we know how lucky we are compared to what's happening on the eastern seaboard. Yeah, for sure. Kind of it just it feels like another life over there. Um, we, I think we're just so used to lockdown here and um, just come accustomed to having restrictions. So very different, very envious of it. Um, but mate, as, as I said, yeah, reeled off your resume before. And what we do with all our all our guests, we, we like to get them to start from the start. So where did it, where did it all start for you? Your footy journey from your, from your juniors and um, and growing up. How did that all all take shape? And um, yeah, how did it all start for you? Yeah, I'm originally from a 
town north of Perth, Geraldton, about four and a half hours away. So that's where I was born and bred. Um, it's probably 50 to 60 Ks away from Northampton, where you would have heard a lot of the, um, the greats of the game, like um, Harry Taylor, um, Josh Kennedy, um, Patrick Cripps, Paul Hazelby, Liam Anthony. Um, so these types of players were more the Northampton, a little bit further away than Geraldton, but um, um, some quality talent that's come through that part of the Midwest area here in Western Australia. And went to Perth when I was 10, um, sort of gradually went and played juniors with the Linwood Ferndale Junior Footy Club after the Geraldton stint. And then just gradually made my way through the ranks of playing a bit of school footy and then ventured to East Fremantle uh, and playing underage footy there through their development programs and cult footy similar to the NAB League, what's happening in Victoria. Um, and then built my way through the ranks, um, reserves footy, senior footy. Um, only played 11 senior games in my two years, really, at Waffle Footy um, before I was picked up in a pre-season draft with the Ds after. Um, so that was the 97 pre-season one. Um, had a couple of injuries in those two years, which um, affected my output and the ability to play, but probably didn't feel like I was ready and certainly recruiting staff didn't feel like I was ready at 18, 19 to be picked up and put on an AFL list. So I was drafted at 20, a little bit later than probably would have hoped, but at the end of the day, um, timing's a wonderful thing, isn't it? So I was able to get the opportunity at 20 and feel like I was a little bit more prepared mentally, physically um, for the rigors of AFL 40. And that's where I got my chance by the D's and um, the rest is history. And I was able to forge a 10 year career and, um, at two wonderful footy clubs and did a little bit there, got some success, although not the ultimate and the pinnacle of, the, you know, of raising the flag on the summit. But I got to the summit a couple of times, which was exciting, although devastating at the same time. But um, yeah, a couple of individual accolades along the way, which is not what we play footy for. Um, I've always dreamt of that, that photo of hanging on a wall where, um, and it's what drove me so much through my career was... Um, and I get to the grand final every year just to be able to see the experience of, of a team celebrating together with medals around their neck on the dais, premiership cup in hand, and the confetti going berserk everywhere. That's the ultimate feeling um, that I would have loved to have been able to capture and embrace with my teammates. And um, I was the one sitting on the grass watching that happen a couple of times. So, yeah, um, it's what drove me. And I was just wanting that photo and that moment to be able to embrace it and um, feel like what it is to win in a senior premiership at AFL level. It's what always drives us. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we, you know, we spoke about your resume before and you, you know, you, like you just said, you forged a 10 year career and I guess you probably answered the question already slightly, but obviously I said, like you mentioned, you overlooked in a couple of drafts early on, obviously due to injury and other reasons. Did that ever weigh you down mentally or did you have a pretty good idea that that was mostly due to the injuries and that when your chance came, you were going to take it? Oh, you know, it weighs you down. I think it weighs all decisions on that. When you, um, probably the first couple I didn't, I think I can't recall if I did actually um, apply for the draft in 94, my, my 18th year. Uh, but certainly did 95 and 96. And when your name's not read out, and I probably didn't expect it in 95 with my first year of senior footy, but you're hoping, because I'd actually had a couple of chats with um, Hawthorne in Melbourne at the end of the 96 season. So that was probably more my opportunity. And I think there were 17 picks out of those two clubs in that draft. And 
when your name's not read out at 20 years of age, you start to then really wonder, uh, is my time going to be there? And, um, and maybe it's not for me. Um, but I had a firm belief that I can still be at the level and, and if I've just been given an opportunity. So it's just back to hard work. And you sort of let the next few days after your name's not read out, um, sort of uh, embrace the emotion, um, take it for what it is, do something about it, can't control it. So um, I can only put the hard work in for the following year. And um, I was very fortunate enough just to get a phone call from Stephen Newport, the welfare guy at Melbourne, and say, we just want to get you over for a, a pre-season, have a look at you, and maybe uh, entertain the idea of the rookie draft. That was the inaugural year of it. So, um, yeah, I was going to pass that up. Even though I was a rookie uh, draft, but there was still an opportunity for a pre-season, which is the one I wanted to get onto, a primary list. Um, yeah, and two months of a real hard work and put your best foot forward and showcase yourself as best you can, do all the, everything that's required. And, you know, I was very fortunate enough that Cameron Schwab, the CEO at the time, dragged me into his office and said, we're going to pick you up tomorrow at pick uh, 12 or whatever it was, end up going to pick 18. But it was a wonderful feeling and um, just pure relation, really, you know, the fact that your name's going to get read out and you'll be on a list and, and, and you're going to be knocking on a door and trying to push your way open to get a game. Yeah, for sure. Just sticking with with your early days and um, going back to your, to your debut for the Ds, what, what was that experience like? I know a lot of players remember their their first game, first goal. What was the experience like in your, your debut for the Ds? Yeah, amazing. Started on the bench. We played the Kangaroos round one, the reigning premiers uh, at the G. I remember it was a Thursday or Friday night. I didn't get on to about the 15-minute mark of the second term. Uh, not too many rotations back in the uh, in the late 90s when you're starting. So um, started on the bench, came on, played half back for the last half. I think about nine touches for the game. I, st I still remember my first touch where I just um, uh, intercepted a ball, half back in front of Carey, took the mark and then just a short kick back out to the wing to Matthew Phoebe. So I just remember it so vividly. And uh, to forget your hands on the leather in your first game was an extraordinary feeling and um, not, not overwhelming. I felt I was ready for the occasion um, and just go to play my role and try and nullify my opponent, use the footy when I got it. And uh, it was a great night too, because we actually got the chockies that night and it was a great way to start the year after what had been a really disappointing 96 after the talks of merger. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, a couple of years later, fast forward to, to the year 2000, it's obviously a, um, you know, your, your best year. You, you won the Brownlow medal and um, you know, your life was pretty good at that stage. And um, I guess the Brownlow medal, especially in, in that season, I know, you know Anthony Kudafides was, was arguably the best player that season. He won the MVP and then Scotty West was a red-hot favourite. Run us through your, your experience at the Brownlow that year, um, let alone being there and then and then winning it as well. It would have been a pretty pretty surreal night. Yeah, well, it, it was a surreal night. It was um, certainly not expected, that's for sure. Um, my manager did actually say to me, who was John Longmore at the time, the current Sydney coach, he, he did say, just, just prepare a speech just in case. You just never know. I think I was, you know, eighth or ninth, tenth on the line of betting at that stage. And I knew I had a consistent season, had a little bit of a lull patch middle of the year, but um, started well, finished well. But as I said, a, a little quiet period in the middle of the year. 
uh, probably where the team was at too for a, a little moments of it. Um, the night, ah, oh, surreal. But we're only expecting a quiet night. A couple of waters. We knew with the bigger fish to fry in five days' time and be in the grand final, um, and be home by ten thirty, tucked up in bed, ready for the preparation of the training week. And you know, three hours later, that got turned on its head real quick. So I don't think I got out of cramp till about after one. Um, but yeah, amazing night. Bolted early, got out to fifteen votes. I think after eight rounds and. Um, it was really interesting too because that middle period where I wasn't voting, all the leaders weren't either. Like as you said, names: Cuda, Buckley, Voss, Rashudo, McLeod, West, Heard, um, superstars of the game and favourites in no doubt. But they weren't voting either, which helped me. And then at the end, I was able to pinch five or six um, to pinch it. And, and I would have, I've been on record saying it a few times, I would have loved to have tied it with Westy. You know, he had an amazing year as well. I got a tour island with him that year uh, with the Gaelic series. Uh, unbelievable individual. Got to befriend the Western Bulldogs boys um, over there. And it just would have been great to be able to share the occasion with him. And, you know, he's a superstar of the game and um, the Western Bulldogs. So, um, yeah. And the votes, they always ebb and flow throughout the evening too. When you you think you're getting some, you don't, and vice versa. And I certainly didn't think I would have got the two in the last game to um, uh, to pip him and, and win it outright. It would have been a great to get a zero and and tie it, but that was to be. And yeah, unbelievable feeling. It really was. Yeah, I can't begin to imagine how that would feel on the night, getting your name called out. I mean, the footage of you winning, it's pretty famous as well. The double fist pump in the air. It's, I mean... Yeah. Pure jubilation, you can see it. But speaking of Scotty West and that last round, I presume you already know this as well, but apparently um, Ken Judge, the West Coast coach at the time, looked at Scotty in that last round and said, I think you've got this in the bag, mate. Don't worry about it. Um, because there's a few other players, I think, from the Ds that day, especially that had pretty good games as well. And then you came away with the two votes. And like you said, might have been a bit unexpected, but you still had 17 and a goal. It's a pretty handy game in my eyes. Yeah, no, probably a bit quiet. I think the goal in the third quarter probably uh, may have held it um, out of the centre bounce, probably got a little bit. And there were some unbelievable players that day. Yeah, two is probably a little bit of a stretch. And um, But, yeah, it was – I think Pally got the one. Who's definitely deserved the three. Had five and 30, I think. And we smacked West Coast by 70. So, um, to force our way into uh, a finals campaign. But, yeah, it's a famous story with Judgy leaning across the doggies table – next to him and, and Judgey was one of my coaches at East Fremantle years and years ago. So um, yeah, it, it, yeah, surreal feeling. It really was um, the reaction, as you said, probably a little bit um, too much on reflection, uh, but I think you just get caught up in the moment as a 24 year old and the unexpected and, and probably let the emotions get ahead of me really. And um, but yeah, from there it was just uh, uh, it's a blur really the evening post that and what had occurred um, where all I wanted to be was with my teammates and family and, and let them experience it, enjoy it. And cause they, it's, they're the ones who, who made the night really because of what they did through the year and helped me become the player I was. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I'm 24 myself now and I reckon I would have done a lot more of a celebration than you did. So definitely <laughs> didn't go over the top, that's for sure. You, you briefly touched on going overseas for the Gaelic football with Scotty West and some of those other boys. What was that experience like? Because obviously it's pretty unique. We don't really see it anymore in today's game. How was it? Yeah, loved it. Unbelievable experience. 11 days, 12 days. 
Um, I wasn't all Australian that year. Um, probably a little bit disappointed that I, I was never an all Australian. Um, that's probably the only year that I actually would have probably, you know, had a close to being a deserved winner of, or recipient of being, having a jumper. But um, I was invited after a few had pulled out and um, some weren't able to play. So I was an emergency that went along with a couple of others. And oh, the experience to travel internationally is always a great thing from a cultural piece to spending some time with um, your friends over there. But yeah, to be able to play the series against the Irish, um, you know, we enjoyed our time too. There's no doubt about that when we're over there. And it was a serious trip when we we're training and playing, but when it was time to release the shackles and enjoy ourselves, we certainly did that as well. And um, yeah, be that travel. Uh, we had Jimmy Steins on the tour as well. So we were able to encapsulate everything about Ireland as well, which, you know, um, it was a former teammate and a real close friend at the time. So uh, enjoying that experience with him and in his hometown and what he was able to bring that for us, but also bash up the Irish in a couple of games and, you know, see parts of Ireland uh, was enormous. But yeah, the mateships and friendships you make along the way, you know, your enemies one day and all of a sudden your teammates uh, the next and representing your country. Yeah. Uh, a yeah, very good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope we can see some more of it in the future. Cause I thought it was a really great thing watching that Gaelic football games. They were amazing. And you spoke about letting the shackles off a little bit, but going the complete opposite way around, I heard an interview with Russell Robinson where he said in that 2000 year, and obviously you guys made the grand final that year as well, but he reckons you, you got to the point where you were weighing up your meals and your mindset had just changed completely. Was that, was that a deliberate, um, change in your, in your mindset that you know to make your game better, or is it just something you've been doing for a long time? No, we're always we're professional athletes. Um, you know, every year, no doubt. But I'd finished ninety nine. I'd come runner up in the best and fairest at Melbourne, and um, still had question marks on my, on myself from a physicality point of view as to how I was feeling in a game, um, and felt like I could still elevate myself in my game, and um, you know whether that was. You know, five minutes in, I'm fatigued. Why, why? I was always a why person, and why the feeling like this? You know, half time I'm cooked. Third quarter, I can't get out and get going again. So there was just a lot of questions I wanted to ask. And um, myself and Todd Viney uh, worked on a couple of concepts, and we spoke to a few people. And it was um, I got to work with a, a guy um, by the name of Shane Charter, um, uh, a biochemist by trade. He was he marked a little bit and there's probably a little bit of um, uh, media about him years later with what he was uh, doing externally, but certainly at the time it was, but for me, it was about nutrition, um, um, bloods, you know, um, sleep and recovery and well-being. but more than nutrition. It's so it was down to mils and grams to the minutes, to the days as to, uh, to get myself internally feeling the way I wanted so my body could perform at an optimum level um every week and it certainly made a huge difference my body um had changed uh and i was starting to feel better in games and the whole 2000 season was just a uh uh yeah surreal i tried it again the following year but just didn't work i think like everything else your body just gets used to things and it just didn't have the same effect so i ended up dropping it and i was probably losing my sanity a little bit and i think my teammates were um seeing that too and what good teammates do they sort of wrap you around and um, sort of try and lift you out of the doldrums because I had a poor 20 or 01 really really poor uh, mentally wasn't great physically wasn't great and just struggling with the tags and a few other things so um, 
yeah, and I just had to re- learn to relax and just become the professional footballer, not this insane to the limit um, where the sanity was just uh, extraordinary. So, um, yeah, but they're just professional habits and standards you have to be able to deliver as a player. Yeah, absolutely. It seems, seems pretty intense, and I think a lot of players go through that now. Um, but staying with 2000, and then obviously you mentioned before, you had the 2000 grand final to play. Uh, a week after your Brownlow medal night. Um, run us through the, the build-up um, and the, the experience on game day um, for that grand final. Obviously, you didn't get the result you're, you're after. And let's be honest, no one was beating Essendon that year. They were so dominant. But run us through the, the build-up to that game and, and your experience on, 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 the, on the big day. Yeah, I uh, probably didn't get out my prep until Wednesday afternoon after the celebrations and commitments with Brownlow. But, you know, Thursday, Friday... A little bit of Wednesday was our time again and uh, got to train in the G uh, on the Wednesday, I think it was, um, which was great. A little bit different. I think it was a couple of rules that we had to abide by in terms of particular uniform, which didn't really, um, yeah, I'm I'm fairly certain it was like that. But then the the parade, the final training session on the Junction Oval and the Junction Oval in Fitzroy Street there was was chockers, 10,000 plus to the rafters, um, you couldn't see a spare spot around the ground at all. Um, I think that session was done after the parade. Uh, but yeah, it, Melbourne had come to life and the supporter base, and as we know how big that base can be when the um, when the Melbourne people come out and celebrate. And we know Essendon's year and the juggernaut they were and the impact they had throughout the year. And, um, and they were the powerhouse. We'd only lost by, I think, four, four and a half goals uh, midway through the year. Like We weren't going into the game thinking that these guys are going to dominate us. We honestly went in thinking we can beat them. Um, and the coaching group sold that for us. Um, we, I thought we started okay in the game, but we just didn't capitalise early and they sort of got the momentum from there and away they went. And they, but as we know how experienced they were, they were just a supreme outfit, um, well-drilled, physical and they just went us physically and we had a young group we just couldn't stand up to it and they just bashed us uh, physically we saw the Troy Simmons incident with Michael Long I think Brad Green was in hospital at quarter time with a broken or fractured larynx I think Dean Wallace smacked him in the throat so um, they were a classy outfit and they ended up demoralizing us didn't they by 10 so yeah wasn't a great way to finish the year it was an absolutely brutal grand final. I think you summed it up perfectly. And Marcus and I like to have little digs at Essendon whenever we can here on the podcast, being Richmond and Carlton supporters ourselves. Yeah. So we were pretty disappointed with that result us, you know, as well. So definitely feel it a little bit there. But um, you mentioned the coaching group earlier and, you know, he's a famous name at the moment as well with Neil Danaher. What, what was he like to be around and well, how was he as a coach? What were your experiences like with Neil? Yeah, terrific coach. Um, hard, fair. No doubt, um, he he came he came in my second year because Barmy got sacked. Hutchie took over at the end of '97. Then Barmy was given the job. Sorry, Neil was given the job for '98. Um, I remember an I remember a game we played a Sydney in an ANSAT Cup game preseason at the Basin Reserve in Wellington. Um, we'd gone to school preseason. He'd taken us to Caulfield Grammar, I think it was. Um, for the entire preseason, where he actually educated us and got us in the classroom to learn his game style, his plan, and what he wanted to achieve. And um, yeah, we thought 
we thought that was fantastic. We're going to really learn something here. And we did. We had a great 98. Um, but yeah, ruthless individual. Um, he expected the contest. He expected defense, um, which was great. He had a really good balance of offense and defense. Um, but he let you also play with a bit of flair to there was a framework you had to play within it, but go and utilize your strengths, use your weapons and go and play, um, which was, which was fantastic for us. And we had that base and reserve um, was the first spray that um, David Neitz copped. And then I reckon the whole of New Zealand would have heard it. And we knew we were there. We had a, um, had a serious coach that it was only a practice game, but if you stepped out of line, he was going to whack you. It didn't matter what name you were or who you were, what sort of status you had at the footy club. Um, he was the coach and he was going to stamp it really quickly. So, um, yeah, terrific coach, Neil, great teacher, great educator, wonderful human being, um, could open the door and have a conversation with you. You knew where you stood with him, he was honest, he was transparent in his messaging and to his players. So you knew where you stood. And um, I thought what he's done for the club over the journey has been extraordinary. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the next two weeks, a lot of it will be for him. Yeah, absolutely. Not surprised by any of that. Um, you can just see how how inspiring he is at the moment um, within the community as well. And I think it'd be a very emotional time if if the D's can can win the flag in a couple of weeks and, and do it for Neil as well. So that would be that would be great to see. Um, stick into that period of time. Fast forward a year or two, and um, that you know big trade happened between between the Melbourne Footy Club and Collingwood, and um, at the end of two thousand and two, and. Obviously, there was a lot made of it, um, a lot of surprises, um, especially to the footy public. Run us through that um, that experience with the with the the big trade to Collingwood and um, the sort of unexpectedness of it all. Yeah, not not a great time in my life, let's be honest, and um, and probably didn't handle it that well um, for the next couple of months post. Really, probably the media that grabbed it and uh, probably expressed my emotions a little bit too much. Um, you know, I felt like I had to at the time too. I just, I was actually really filthy of how it was all handled and um, and just sort of felt like I was hung out to dry a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so leading in, probably uh, unexpected, no doubt. I probably didn't hear anything until the footy trip in Bali of 02, where I started to get a few whispers across the ocean. Something was happening and murmuring around in Melbourne. Um, spoke to the manager a bit. Told it, he just said we'll shut it down and um, just wait, enjoy holiday, get back to Melbourne, and we'll chat about what happened. So I think I had about 24 hours before I had to go to another holiday after the footy trip. And the coach came across, uh, walked into my lounge room, sat in my on my lounge room uh, couch, and we just spoke about the rumours and things that had been floating around. And he was honest with me that the club was obviously in a bit of a financial um, strain and just needed a bit of a hand and. I accepted the fact I could help out in some way, shape or form and keep the group together after what had been a really successful 02. Even though we got knocked out in the semi, we felt like we had something special for 03 and ready to go and um, shook hands, see in a couple of weeks for pre-season after my trip to South Africa and spent some time with the family and um, never stepped back in the footy club ever again, which was really a shame. And um, it all happened when I was overseas and um, got a bit ugly with the conversations and the piece, but just felt like I wasn't needed or wanted anymore and that they were really trying their best to push us out, and uh, which was unfortunate because I wanted to become a one-club player and spend my time at Melbourne and um, hopefully win that elusive flag. It just never eventuated. So 
went to the pies and felt like that club was really wanting me. Mm -hmm. And you know, I got great chats by um, Barmy, Mick, Eddie, Bucks, a couple other players at the time. And right, yeah, they want me. So let's go. And, um, you know, I got to experience another big club, you know, traditional, proud, historic, got to get to experience a Lexus Centre, a facility, and we got to play another grand final, which um, the Melbourne boys never did ever again. So um, although we lost it again, it was just another great experience to play alongside some wonderful players and learn a lot again as a player um, and enjoy what it was to be under Mick Malthouse. Yeah, for sure. And just staying with with um, you know, your departure from the D's, how long did it take to sort of to patch up a lot of the relationships that were sort of broken through that period? And um, if they have been patched up, like you still got um, you know, a few issues there or has that all been been sorted out now? Oh, no. The, um, the people that were involved with the club back then are no longer there. So um, from an administrative point of view, they were all gone. Uh, but I'll be honest, it took me a long time to get over it, a long time, um, even well after retirement. Um, just things stick with you for a long time. As much as you'd love to be able to uh, move on and you just you, and control the things you can control, some of those things that just they burnt, uh, burnt you to a crisp for a little while there. And um, I, I end up, I end up patching it with Neil. Yeah, well, Neil and I probably weren't close after the uh, the trade history and we moved on and a few other things, but Neil and I patched up and moved things on, um, you know, become mates again and enjoy each other's company and have, we can have a laugh and a beer at a few other things of what happened and stuff. But, um, oh, and uh, players, we've always been mates. It doesn't matter if you're um, got a different color jumper on the, the relationships and friendships you form in those pivotal times, they'll always be there and they're your best mates. And we still have good banter now and, um, uh, even now with the past players, you know, just be able to catch up yearly and um, be on the phone to them and rip each other when you need to. And uh, that, that was the great thing about the Melbourne Footy Club at the time. And, and what we experienced on field is how it was off field. Such big friendships and relationships built and forged for a very long time. And, and they're there forever. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. Great to hear. Um Staying with the pies now, that you mentioned before that the 2003 grand final that you played in, um, how was that experience compared to you know the 2000 grand final? Obviously, Collingwood playing in the grand final the year before, almost going into 03 as as favourites. How was that um, experience, especially being your first year at the club as well? Yeah, different, um, bigger club, um, probably more expectation really after what that experience in 02. This thing about 03, oh that on paper wouldn't have been the most talented list. Um, but what Mick and the group um, drove was that team and playing your role and didn't matter who you were, you're soldier for soldier, week in, week out. Doesn't matter who comes in, just play the role. Uh, yeah, different game plan. So that was the biggest thing I had to get used to was playing a different role, um, different style of footy compared to what it was at Melbourne. Very different. Um, so getting a kick at training early was a bit difficult, but oh, the whole year was amazing. You know, I learned a heaps off Bucks and Burnsy and these types who are just superstars of the Collingwood Footy Club and big name players. Um, you know, got challenged again by Nathan with regards to training standards and how to become a professional athlete and be better at what I was trying to do. Um, yeah, but the finals campaign was was unbelievable. Um, 
we beat the Brisbane in the qualifying final. Um, probably, probably felt as though we were favourites in there, but and we're certainly favourites going in after the qualifying. And then we played Port in the prelim. If you remember, Anthony Rocker got rubbed out in the prelim. So that was an emotional week for the group, which wasn't probably ideal for everyone. Um, he ended up playing the grand final and he told the boys and how sorry and apologetic he was on the Thursday before the game. And then um, the juggernaut of the Brisbane Lions, who um, were a completely different outfit two weeks later and tore us to shreds. Uh, how professional they were. They were hard, physical, built for the occasion. They won the previous two. Um, and again, like the similar 2000, they just bashed us up and um, run away with a 10 goal victory. Yeah. And we all, you know, obviously a disappointing result, but I guess just making it to the grand final for a second time and having that experience would have been something pretty special. And you touched on playing with some pretty big players and there's no doubt over your career, you've shared the field and also played against some, you know, massive name players, a couple of Brownlow medalists in Buckley and Jim Steins. Who would you say, it might be a hard one, but who would you say would be the best player you think you've ever played with? Played with? Or with or against, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jeez, I've played on some superstars of the game. It just, you know, they'll go as, as legends of the game. Hall of Famers, you know, their trophy cabinets are huge, aren't they? So oh, playing against, I thought the best player I played on um, was Voss. Oh, I thought Voss, he was, one, he's a competitor. Um, he's brutal. Whether you're playing as an inside mid on him um, and what you do around stoppage, but his craft around a stoppage, his ability to use his weight and his levers and how he works his positioning and his brutal power in there to be able to get in, get out in his prime was amazing. <laughs> amazing. Um, but then his ability, when he was up and going, he could also go forward as well and come out of the goal square and his speed and power when he was free and up and about, uh, it, yeah, he was a very, very good player. Um, they're all very different, you know, you, and you manage them differently too. So, um, you know, I, I got to play the champions of Lion, Viney, Steins um, at Melbourne, you know, and one of the greats at Melbourne who was just cruel by injury. And we never got to see, well, I never got to see the best of him was Stephen Tingay. He was an idol of all the boys back in then, just how he prepared as a player and um, what he could do on a footy field. He's, he was mad. He was very, very skillful and tough and talented, but we never got to see the best of him. Um, and, and then more the era you go, uh, how good was Jeff White, Jeff Farmer, Adam Uze, and these types, just skillful and creative. And, and they were, um, but uh, Bucks was a gun. Bucks was a genuine superstar, you know, um, beast of a player, could play inside, play outside, go forward, sit at halfback, could play everywhere. And how lethal he was, he's the most, he's the best kick, along with Adam Uze, he was probably the best kick I've seen in the modern game that I'd played with. Um, he's just brutal. Uh, what he could do on a footy field and cut you to shreds. So, um, and there, there was a fair reason why he was, you know, six-time Copen Trophy winner, Brownlow medalist. He'd done everything. Um, he just couldn't win that elusive flag, which was a real shame for him, both as a player and a coach. But there's a reason why he's a champ. I've never seen a player prepare so well than what Nathan Buckley did. He was enormous in how he got the best out of himself. And that's not surprising in the slightest. I mean, you look at Barks even now, I mean, he still looks like in physically in good shape, but in his playing days, I mean, he was just built like a tank and he could run all day. Yeah, yeah exactly. And his Monster. skills were just so precise. So no doubt. Um, 
Well, talk to a bit, talk to us a little bit about your coaching. You've done a little bit at East Fremantle, um, Brisbane Lions as an assistant there, um, and then to North Fremantle as a senior coach. What's that been like, and has experience been like coaching rather than playing? Yeah, very different, very different. I learned a lot as a coach, um, and, and when I reflect on decisions I made as a player when I left Melbourne, when I left the Pies, how I handled myself, it's a very different emotion when you feel as a player. You're, you're all in as a player and you're always as a, as a coach also. I didn't probably say that right, but um, very different feeling. Um, you probably get attached more as a player because you just want to play forever because it's your passion. It's what you do. You love it. Um, but when you're going to make decisions as coaches on players, games, dropping careers, um, it's bloody difficult. And then you start to understand the reasons why those decisions were made on you years and years ago. Um, uh I got into coaching. I, re- I finished at the Pies in 05. I came home, played two years with East Romano to finish off my career and thought, I'm done here. I've got to focus the next phase of my life. I'm 31. What's next? I had really no plan or pathway as to, I didn't really focus on that heavily when I was playing AFL footy. Probably should have because it probably ended prematurely than I thought it was at 29. Um, so I ended up, the corporate world wasn't for me. I started in it, didn't like it. I want to stay involved in the game. And as I do that, I want to become a coach. So um, I think I chewed everyone's ear off as the best pathway to take. Um, where do I start? What do I do? I end up, um, Mick Malthouse said, go and coach your own club. So that's what I did and put myself in the running. I retired in 07 from Reese from Maryland. I got the job in 08. Um, great learning curve. Um, the players taught me a lot at East Fremantle at the time and, Great, got great feedback, sometimes critical, sometimes harsh, fair. Um, but you learn a lot from great feedback from your playing group and I empowered them to make good decisions and and they had their back, they had mine. Um, so the three years at the Sharks was a great learning curve. And then uh, I undernarred whether or not three or four years was going to be there before I wanted to step into the AFL system. And then I put my hand up and got the manager to start talking. And then Vossi gave me a call to say, mate, come across to Brisbane and, come over here and be the midfield stoppage coach. So, um, and they were going through a bit of a tough time. The Brisbane Lions in 2010, a few issues with some players. Um, and the place was falling apart, really. They had to get a reshuffle in their footy area. Um, so I went to Brisbane. Um, geez, I learned a lot at the Lions for six years. Um, learned what not to do, what to do as an as assistant. If I had my own team at the elite level, what could I do? Um, and I probably stayed there too long. Probably on, on in hindsight, on reflection, four years would have been great. Um, I made the decision to stay a bit longer for my eldest son and to finish off his high school um, and just nut it out. And then the soft cap came in, which the footy department spending was equalised. So it made it really difficult to move clubs. Um, I wanted to get down to Victoria after six years, didn't eventuate. So I decided to bring the family home and then... Um, have a break from coaching, didn't eventuate there either. And I got thrust into uh, um, coaching the A-grade amateurs here for one year, which ended up turning into five. So, um, uh, and I've now just pulled the pin on that one. So I've finished there now. So um, yeah, it's been a great journey. I'm not sure what's next for me in my coaching journey and uh, what it looks like in 2022, but for senior coaching at the moment, it's um, certainly on the back burner. 
Yeah, for sure. That I feel like you, you've, you've learned a lot through that through that coaching period. And um, I guess you mentioned him before as well, Mickey Malthouse, who you also played under. Did you take a lot from these co- take a lot from these coaches that you played under and, and took it into to your coaching career as well? Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I think you take a bit of everything with all of them and what they do, and then mold it into the way that you want to build it and your philosophies and how you want to deliver it and um, put your spin on it. Um, and certainly I took a bit from um, even Ken Judge and Tony McCall here at East Fremantle years and years ago before it all started and with the discipline, the hard work and the dedication that's required to be a player and, and, and how to train and the standards, you know, the offensive work, a couple of the um, uh, philosophies I took from Neil and um, in, in in what he taught us, Mick, what I got from Mick, very disciplined, very one-on-one, very defensive type coach. But what I learned from Mick, what you see externally is not what you see internally. He's a real, he's your father. He's He backs his playing group to the hilt and and he lets you know about that. Um, but he's all about family and he just brings all his players in and he treats them like his boys and, that's what I got it from Mick, his values of family and what it meant to him and his playing group, that he trusted his playing group. Um, he valued him. And he put an arm around him. Uh, and it wasn't the dictatorship. You probably see it probably externally a little bit from the outside, but what you see inside is completely different. And, uh, and I love that about that. So I took a little bit of that from going forward. Um, and you wonder why they're in the game for so long and what they do is, you know, you could become the greatest coach of all time with the amount of games he coached. So, yeah, a bit of everyone. And then you put your own spin on it at the end to see what you can deliver and, and educate your playing group. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it is a bit surprising to hear that about Mickey. You, you see this big, um, this tough persona, the, the public yeah. persona that we all see, but um, I guess that's why, yeah, why he's so successful um, and, and won those premierships and, and broke the coaching record as well. Um, he's obviously doing something right there and, uh, and it's good to hear. Um, all right, well, before we wrap up, we'll, um, we do a segment called The Pressure Cooker. We do it with all the guests, just a, a couple of um, quick fire questions just before we finish off. So um, Quinn will run the, run the sting and we'll get into it. kick us off who's your tip for the flag this year melbourne yeah i thought i thought yeah. that might be the answer <laughs> yeah a tricky question i don't think was yeah, it? yeah. I think <laughs> the answer to this one as well then but who would you say is the tip for the brownlow medal this year oh i, I would have had bont halfway through the year i reckon clayton oliver's gonna pip him at the post yeah i can see that i can yeah. see that he's, he's so good clary yeah, oh, he's, good a he's a genuine mid who's just so consistent year in year out. He's he's a genuine, very good midfielder. If he, I think if he gets up, you might have to send him a few tips and just how to keep the metal shiny all the time. So it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think I might know the answer to this next question. Who's the player that you love to watch the most? Oh yeah, he's he's one of them. Oh, but I love watching the Bond. I reckon what he's done in such a short period of time, his career is extraordinary. He's a modern day midfielder, but I, I love what he does inside the contest, outside his aerial impact, um, his toughness around the foot, his delivery of the ball. He, he's a, he's a class act. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And I think what you said about him being a modern midfielder as well has perfectly summed him up. He's got that height to him now, which you never used to see as much in midfielders, and he's just so aerially dominant as well, like you mentioned. And then could be the, the similar answer to what we're expecting, but who would your favourite Melbourne player be at the moment? Favourite Melbourne player? Um, oh, it, it's a funny – it's a good story. I've always – Jack Viney's always been my favourite. Um, uh, he's my son's favourite. Oh, his dad was my favourite player when I was growing up. So uh, he's a genuine bull and he's bled red and blue for a very long time. Um, so he's a couple of injuries. But uh, I think what he delivers on field is just ruthless. And he it's all in, isn't it, every week? Um, and he's a passionate player. But I just love how Jack goes about it. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, th- I feel like Jack is... Um... Now, he's been there a, a bit longer than you know your Petrarca and your Oliver, mm. and it's sort of been overtaken by them in a way. Where I think Viney was regarded as Melbourne's you know uh, soul player. Yeah, he was yeah. like the, the heart and soul of the club uh, a few years ago, and then he's sort of been overtaken by Petrarca and Oliver. So um, he's no, I love his it. Role hasn't he? Yeah, 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 for sure. So um, and he's he's set up for finals footy as well the way he plays. Absolutely. So that's um, no, good. Before we get back to our regular scheduled programming, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Capital Edge. Capital Edge is a boutique company set up to help you build a property portfolio quickly and effectively whilst minimizing any direct out-of-pocket costs. They implement strategies to help reduce your payable tax and avoid the common pitfalls of property investment. The simple difference with Capital Edge is that with any investment you make, it's all about you. Capital Edge educating clients to make informed property choices using research-based processes. And last but not least, Gavos Freight Solutions, GFS. We recommend GFS due to their expert advice in all facets of international air and sea freight forwarding, including consolidation logistics, personal effects, as well as in-house customs clearance brokerage. Better than the rest, the team at GFS has a combined experience of over 40 years in the industry and is led by Peter Gavos, an accredited customs and quarantine broker. So if you're in the need for professional importing or exporting, be sure to get in contact with Peter and the team at www.gfs.net.au. That's www.gfs.net.au. That is it, mate. That is that is the pressure cooker done. Um, and that and that's pretty much us done for the episode as well. So um, now we really appreciate you coming on and having a chat. Um, and yeah, really appreciate your time and thankful for it. I'm sure I can speak on behalf of Quinn as well. So thank you again, Wowie, and we'll uh, have to chat to you again soon. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Uh, easy. And thanks very much for having me on. Uh, absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you again. Easy. Thanks, sir. Thanks Enjoy your night, guys. You too. Cheers. Bye.